Welcome to Politics and Prose, the podcast focused on people and politics. Gail Dudley, the audacious advocate, is an author and activist committed to evoking an awakening that compels people and communities to move beyond the status quo. Gail has created a platform to introduce fresh voices through interviewing guests who are relevant to everyday life. Politics and Prose will also share aggregated political data and present it in a way that takes communities from being informed to taking action. New episodes air on Fridays. Make sure to follow Gail on Instagram, Twitter, and post.news at Gail Dudley. And subscribe to her YouTube, www.youtube.com slash Gail Dudley. Tune in to be informed and make sure to subscribe to Politics and Prose wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Now let's get into it. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Gail Dudley, the audacious advocate, author, and activist committed to introducing you to fresh voices through interviewing guests who are relevant to everyday life. The guest we have today is no stranger to any of you if you've been tuning in with us on Politics and Prose since January 2023. I want to say thank you all for joining us today as we speak on the topic after the benediction with Reverend Derek Holmes. Let me give you his bio real quick. Reverend Derek Holmes has written poetry, essays, and social critique that have been featured in various journals and publications across the country, offering commentary on life, culture, and spirituality. A frequent guest preacher and conference speaker, as well as a regular guest speaker on News in Motion, Reverend Holmes has conducted numerous lectures and workshops regarding social justice, youth mentorship, and community empowerment. He is also a licensed Christian counselor whose clients include families and youth. Reverend Holmes attended Wright State University, where he majored in English education and a minor in African American studies. He contributes written reflections once a month. I think it's now a little bit more on his own website, Are You Up Yet? And that is at reverendderickholmes.com. Derek Holmes is a senior pastor of the Second Baptist Church in Circleville, Ohio. I'm just letting all y'all know, no disrespect, but we're going to cut that reverend while we have this conversation because we're going to get into some things. And um, for those of you, we know this is audio, but he's shaking his head at me because we were able to see each other in video. But we're going to jump in today. Um, as y'all know, the month of November, I have been intentional on bringing all of you all, uh, the authors that we have, because we want to strengthen that. And speaking of authorship, if you are not a part of Manuscripts and Mimosas, you want to do that. You can do that by going to www.gaildudley.com. That's G-A-I-L-D as in David, U-D as in David, L-E-Y.com. And then click in the menu bar, Manuscripts and Mimosas. I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. If you are listening to us on the day of this um, pop, this podcast, on December the 1st, people, on December the 1st, 
we will have with us Dr. Kim Carter, and she's going to talk about turning your articles, your blogs, your manuscripts, your books into online courses so that you can also have another stream of revenue. You don't want to miss it. Y'all go ahead uh, and sign up. It's a monthly membership. It's an exclusive membership. Um, we have been bringing some fiery guests in. You don't want to miss it, but you have the opportunity to stop the billing at any time. But even with that, in January, we will also have uh, Derek Holmes with us, who's going to talk about searching for these freelance paid opportunities. Listen, a lot of people don't share that information, but we're doing that through manuscripts and mimosas. So with that, welcome, Derek. How are you today? I am doing great, Gail. Thank you so much for having me. I really, uh, really value for us to be able to share. We already talk anyway, but just to be able to uh, chop it up on this platform uh, is really an honor. I appreciate that. Great. Great. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited about the topic. And with that, we're going to jump and I'm going to give you a soft question first, and then sure. we're going to go a little deeper. <laughs> All good. All good. <laughs> you know, I want, the, I want the listeners to get a feel for who, who they're listening to, especially mm -hmm. it's interesting because this audience is not necessarily the news and motion audience. So it's really interesting how, how I pull from these two different uh, platforms, but I, I love all of them. Uh, I love the emails they send in. I love when they send me their books to read or yeah. they want to send me their product to bring them on to the show. Um, mm -hmm. I just got the bomb prayer sweatshirt somebody sent me. It's all the way live. So I'm really excited. Yeah. So, yeah. so just we're going to just have the conversation. But can you tell the the listeners a bit about yourself and what inspired you to become a freelance writer blogger and author yeah sure so uh anytime i think about talking about myself the first thing that i lead with is i'm the oldest son of tyrell and christine groom uh, okay. <laughs> uh both of those streams uh pour into me uh in the best and worst of ways uh i love my parents uh shout out to both of them who are totally going to listen to this uh, <laughs> um i always start with that um i'm a native new yorker uh from new york city born and raised in the bronx uh and those beginnings uh coming up in the city in the 80s very much inform how i exist in the world the way i think about my people the way i think about community the way i think about relationships uh the way i think about spirituality uh and also the way that I think about the importance of rhetoric, the importance of literature and writing. Uh, what got me into writing is being immersed in a context where if you've spent any time in the city or in a metropolis where the arts are held up, uh, you don't have a choice but to be exposed uh, to different types of culture in the best sense of that word. And so coming up as a kid, uh, I have memories of going to my church in Harlem and going to the Schomburg and being surrounded by books with people that look like me. Uh, you can't get away from Langston Hughes or Zora Neale Hurston or County Cullen or uh, Chinua Achebe or Octavia Butler. Like these were all names. Uh, Toni Morrison, like I can just imagine. I have memories of all of these books being at my disposal and the beauty of that was that with everything that was going on around me in the city, that provided an escape. 
So for that hour, that hour or two hours, I was able in some ways to leave from the things that I was dealing with. This is in the 80s during Reaganomics, during the reality of the crack epidemic. Uh, I'm from the Bronx. So the reality of my existence was a food desert, right? So there were those things that I just knew weren't okay. And because of my education, I had access in other places. So I had something else to compare it to. And so being able to read and being able to see uh, literature and rhetoric at a really high level really arrested my imagination and what got me to writing on my own. And she is transitioned now. She's listening to this from, from the beyond. My grandmother used to have this old typewriter for whatever reason that sat under her bed. There's no reason why it would sit there. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was the coolest thing in the world. And I was the oldest and it was me and my cousins and my brother were all in the apartment at the same time. And what I would do is I would pretend to be writing things on the typewriter. I liked the way that I would push it back. It's funny, I'm saying typewriter in 2023. There may be some people who aren't familiar with this device, right? And they were like, what is a typewriter? And I can even, you know, I can even hear the bell ringing as you push it back. Right. You know, and before before MacBooks, right, there, there were typewriters. And so I would play around on the typewriter and my grandmother would say, no, you can actually type, I'll get some ink. And I told her, I don't know what to write. And she said, write what you're thinking about, but when you write it, think about how it would make me feel. Oh, wow. And just that, even as I write now, that's always on my mind, not only thinking through how I navigate my own thoughts, my own perspectives, but in what way am I painting a picture so that way it can be evocative and someone else can experience it in a way so that way they can best relate. So those are my beginnings um, in terms of writing wow. and in terms of who I am. That's those things really inform it. I could talk about the education. I could talk about uh, ministry and all that. And those things matter. But those are really the things that uh, matter to me at my core. Wow. I, that's, that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, even just thinking about the typewriter. Um, mm -hmm. You remember how heavy that thing used to be? <laughs> it's huge, right? <laughs> this huge typewriter. Um, and then you had to like put, make sure the tape was down in there, right? Mm -hmm. If it wasn't like hitting that F, it would all be the F or the E that would be like bouncing off and it wasn't mm -hmm. connected. You got to hunt and peck and then, and then if you mess up, you got to go back and then you, you got to get some, uh, you got to get the white out sometimes to go ahead and white it back out to go on the line, right? That's it. <laughs> the white out. And then don't forget we have had the manual before the electric typewriter mm -hmm. but yeah. even still the same things it's wow that That's can take crazy. us back right there you know <laughs> again so i want to jump over to um to your your book and that's okay. what we we gave the topic of this particular yeah. podcast um after the benediction what motivated you to write after the benediction and what is the central message you hope readers will take away from that book? And, and by the way, all of you who are tuning in, uh, whether you're tuning in live or, or on the recording, um, this book is now available. It's been available, but you can get it in Amazon. Can you get it in Barnes & Noble or anywhere else? Or yeah, is Amazon? Barnes & Barnes and Noble as well. So make sure y'all get a copy. This is a perfect time in the season that we're in to pick up that copy. And I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna jump ahead into 2024. This is a perfect book also to read 
going into the MLK weekend, as well as into um, Black History Month of February 2024. So again, what motivated you to write after the benediction and what is the central message you hope readers will take away from it? The motivation came out of my experience with seeing more traditional devotionals um, in my context, uh, in the faith tradition that I espouse, uh, there's a very high premium put on prayer, right? And so what happens is for good or for naught, there are people who benefit and profit from that, right? You have devotionals where people offer their own spiritual reflection and, and they have prayers that people write inside of them. Um, right. And there were two things that were kind of frustrating to me about that. One is that I didn't feel like there were enough people who looked like me who maybe shared similarity with my own tradition or thought through my faith in a particular way. Uh, so there were certain faces, but those faces didn't necessarily sound like or espouse maybe the tradition that I come out of. And so as a result, the prayers and the reflections uh, even though they were probably well-intentioned, they didn't sound like me, they didn't resonate with me. Yeah. And, and I felt like that that was something oppressive, right? So if I'm encouraged to have my own relationship to the Most High, right, then there isn't a certain way that my prayers or my communion or my connection has to look or sound. And so to suggest that was something that was passively uh, oppressive to me and I had a problem with that. Uh, the second one was around kind of, again, the language, right? Uh, how do I purport being connected to a higher power that operates in freedom while still being confined and not being allowed to operate in a liberationist way as it relates to how I pray and how I'm thinking about uh, my interaction with God, as I might refer, right? Uh, how do I interact in a way that's healthy and transformative? And real to myself, because that's what relationship is. When I don't have to come up with the $50 words in order to say it, I can just talk to you where I am. And the beauty of what it means to connect is to know that I don't need those words in order to connect to a being that's higher than me, that loves me in the space where I am right now. And when you're right. able to do that now, I can be free and I can be emancipated from bounds and I can share more transparently. And, and by the way, that lends to growth. So with those two things in mind, I really felt led to create a devotional that was an atypical devotional yeah. where we can still navigate the text that in my tradition, I believe to be sacred, right? Uh, there can still be a reflection, some perspective on it, right? But there's also room to empower the person to write out their own prayer and to navigate what it looks like to connect to God in your own way with the language that you want. And then there's no wrong way to navigate that. So yeah. not only did I write a book, but I'm encouraging other people to contribute to the pages of the book as well. Um, and so that was really the impetus behind it. What I pray people are able to take from it is not only the freedom they have to connect to the divine in whatever way that they uh, deem fit based on the place where their feet sit, but also to hold to the rich tradition of African wisdom. We live in a moment where in many ways people disconnect uh, things that are beautiful and things that are prosperous and things that are righteous. Uh, we disconnect them from the mother continent, Africa. And so what I humbly tried to do was connect the beauty of the scripture and then marry that to the wisdom of African proverb and the wisdom of our ancestors. So for, 
every reflection and every moment where someone can write, there's also an idiom or, or a statement or something else that directly connects back to the continent so someone can see where all those, uh, all those streams and all those strings tie together. So hopefully someone's encouraged to be able to talk to God in their own way while also having a higher appreciation uh, for the wisdom and beauty that comes out of the African culture. I love that. Even when I um, noticed the title and I kept thinking about it and I said, wow, after the benediction, it's like when we leave church. Yeah. After the benediction, we've been prayed corporately. We've had the altar calls. We've had our worship, our praise, the sermon and all of that. Mm -hmm. It's like to have this book and to go home and like here comes Monday or Tuesday. And it's like, man, what do I do? I can pick that up. Yeah. I can read it because it's 40 days, right? Right. Yeah. So you have I, I can read it. I can write it. my prayer or whatnot. So I think it's so needed, especially now. Absolutely. I, mean, I know you've written it before today, but I mean, it's so needed today. There's so yeah. much that's going on. Agreed. So can you share some examples? And, the, and I just want all of y'all to know, we'll probably go a little bit longer than 45 minutes, <laughs> but we're going to try to cut down some of our answers because, <laughs> listen, there's a whole lot we got to talk about. We're not even into the nitty gritty of this yet. <laughs> but can you share some examples of how you've woven the African Proverbs into the devotional readings and why you believe these connections are important? Um, I believe that they're important because it's very hard for me to find value in a thing that I'm not able to see myself in, right? Um, you can tell me that something's important. You can tell me that something matters, but unless I'm able to see myself and see my culture and see my identity uh, within it, I'm not able to have a full appreciation for the value uh, of it. And I think that there's just room to be able to think about that, especially if there's a divine above us all that, that created all of us. So I shouldn't have to look far to find me, right? And find the divine in the thing. Uh, if I, I just shouldn't have to look that hard to find it. And I, and I think there's an opportunity for us to be thinking more deeply writ large about the way in which we convey certain ideas and portray certain ideas that preference some folk and disinclude uh, others, right? Yeah. Um, and so, the idea is simply to take uh, to take a verse or to take scripture or to take a perspective on, on a text, right? So there's a uh, there's a Af there's an African proverb that says that uh, when a when an elder passes when an elder passes, it's like a library is burned down. Wow! Right? It it reinforces the priority of of the wisdom of our elders. You could tie that back uh, to the Proverbs uh, in the Bible that I espouse, where it talks about a graying head is a crown of splendor, right? Like there's a way in which that you don't have to look far to see the connections between the sacred writ of the biblical text and the wisdom that our ancestors understood. There's a way to marry that. You don't, you don't have to eisegete a text, right? You don't have to make something up but there's a way in which those where that there's a healthy intersection, and I think it's valuable uh, to be able to hold to yeah. that. Wow, this is this is all great because even as as we're sitting here talking, I don't know why, but I'm thinking about my grandparents who have been mm -hmm. 
gone on to glory for many years now. Mm -hmm. um, some of my aunts, I even think about the kitchen conversations and as of course the hot comb to the hair and, yeah. and the fried chicken and the cornbread being made. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just a whole thing that I think even today, so many of us miss that because yeah. we're not exercising those things. We're not yeah. even really talking about it much anymore. So a book like After the Benediction, I think brings out, as I'm listening to you, it brings out a lot of that. And and I, I'm starting to see you you have woven a lot of this into all of your writing. Even Absolutely. in preaching and teaching. So it's coming yeah. through. And and it says, you know, you know, you know, myself and my daughter, we have the magazine. And mm -hmm. one thing that I'm listening to, I'm like, this is your beat. You know, right. we have the genre, but then we also have the beat within the genre. So mm. this is your beat that's coming forward. Now, and I'm loving this. All right, I have one more question with the book. So I just want to keep staying yeah. here for a moment. Then we got to get over to the politics side of books. Okay. <laughs> but like who's for, for this book or for any of your writing, mm -hmm. um, who's your target audience? And what do you hope they'll gain from reading your writing? Uh, writings, excuse my, me. My, my primary audience is the community that I'm most concerned about. So I love everybody. Uh, and I believe everybody are creations of the divine. That being said, I am most concerned about uh, American African, about African Americans, about Black folk. That's primarily my target. It's uh, probably my target audience, my target niche. Um, and I think, I think what they hope to gain is a sense of pride. Uh, yeah. I think I think our people, I think our people are so tired. Exhausted. Think, Can we I say think our people are exhausted when we think the realities of uh, of what we deal with in terms of structural oppression, the realities of what we deal with in terms of respectability politics. You have to act a certain way in order to be validated within the nation state. We mm -hmm. talk about the realities of how hard you have to work in order to achieve an American dream, if that's even a thing, right? Uh, when we talk about the realities of how of how much you have to sacrifice right to the point where we even turn and turn our anger and our angst towards ourselves this is what james baldwin and nikki giovanni were in conversation about when you deal with the things so much so i have to lie so much outside of the home and i internalize that then i'm i'm free and all that rage comes out in the places where i'm the most vulnerable to the people that are the most vulnerable right when I think about all of that, I just think our people are so tired. And I think uh, that there's an opportunity, should the Lord allow for us to be reinvigorated and to find a sense of pride in knowing that I come from this and, and, and that there's a God that's still working and that, and that our ancestors had wisdom back then to propel us to now and hopefully that straightens our back and, and helps us hold our head up and well, it reminds us that our steps are victory steps, even though we haven't gotten to the goal yet. And so hopefully the goal is uh, to really just empower our folk. And I think when we're more empowered, when we're thinking uh, more confidently, more, in a more liberated way, when we're able to affirm ourselves, mm -hmm. then we reject some of the other things that cause us stress. I think we become better communities when we do that. I think we're better families when we do that. I think our movements have more movement when we do that. Right. Um, and so hopefully the the overarching theme would be a sense of pride that people yeah. can take in that. Yeah, I, I'm loving all of this. And um, 
even as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, I see who, you know, who you're reaching, who you're speaking to. But then I kind of had a smile on my face because I'm sitting here thinking, I also know some of my Caucasian brothers and sisters who would Mm -hmm. jump on this work in a minute and even want to share and talk about it. I'm thinking of like a friend of mine named Carrie in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking, I mean, I'm thinking about a friend of mine named Paul. I'm thinking about different people. Mm -hmm. I can see their faces where they'll be like, I want to be, I want to be a part of this, like, like, uh, bring me in. Cause I, I want to be a part of this. So mm-hmm. I love that you have a particular audience, but within that audience, I believe it branches out to other people. Absolutely. Because we Absolutely. already know who to pull in and say, Hey, you got to read this work. You got to be a part of this. So, mm-hmm. so we're turning to the politics side. Okay. <laughs> Talking politics. <laughs> so, and you kind of like hit on it. So then you kind of like opened mm-hmm. the door where I was going. So I'm loving this. Mm-hmm. So I want, us, I want us to now focus on politics when we're talking about navigating challenges. So like in the current climate, you know this already, yeah. uh, where some books are facing bans. We've had different states and their governors like just completely ban books out of schools and libraries and whatnot. We even have curriculums that have been thrown by the wayside. Have you encountered any uh, specific challenges as a Black male author? And how do you navigate these challenges? Uh, you know, come on, let's let's just pull off the covers and let's just have a, a, a real conversation here. Yeah. there. So listen, there's a, there's a way in which the American story is told to where persons of color are seen as less than in spaces. And one of those spaces is the intellectual space. So mm-hmm. you can't be a black scholar. You can't be a scholar. You got to be a black scholar, right? You can't be <laughs> an intellectual. You got to be a black intellectual, right? You can't just be an author. You got to be a black author, right? Uh, <laughs> and that creates a very difficult thing because, right, what happens if, you know, no, I'm writing it for everybody. Now, I, I can't leave myself out of the work, right? So so there's going to be hints of me in it, right? Uh, right. But but I can quote Hawthorne and Jay-Z at the same time, right? Like I can do more than one thing. And the challenge of that is not, is not allowing people to pigeonhole us, right? right. Try not to allow, allow people to pigeonhole me while still being my most genuine self. So, so I'm going to show up as who I am uh, and prayerfully, I'm going to be my best self in the moment where I show up. Right. Uh, but I don't want to fall into the trap of overperforming, right? In the name of validation. And I definitely don't want to underperform because I know not everybody like me gets in the door. So in what way do I, what, what Eddie God calls doing this dance? How do I do the dance where I'm my most genuine self, but I don't trigger your fear? That's a cupid. That's a cupid uh, shuffle. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's a whole, that's a whole line dance. Right? That's a whole line dance, and, right? and you and you kind of navigating that depending upon who's in front of you. Absolutely, You're like two right? steps. Go this way. Go back. Go forward. Yeah, Dance, so, shake. <laughs> right. How do I? How do I? How do I navigate in a way to where I can show up and and my and my most genuine self might be listening to Nas while I'm on my way to the meeting. But I still show up, right, in my suit and tie. And if you want to have a political conversation, right, around policy, I can do that as well. Right. Right. 
but to not not be so caught up in that that I lose myself in the process. Because once I lose myself, right, right, then I lose the agenda of my people. Right. And once I, I got, lose I got the a, agenda of my people, now it's pointless. Right. I, I got to slip this in here. We're going to get off course just a second, but we're going to do this yeah. in 60 seconds and come back out. You <laughs> said something there in my suit and tie. And I think about how many times when we're doing the, the shuffle or the dance mm-hmm. or whatever with our books and our intellect and our titles and all of that stuff that we like, oh, you know, I really want to leave on my jeans and mm-hmm. just like a, a polo. But we, we got it. No, nah, we better step it up. Because yeah. we, we received right, we need to make sure we have on the the dress or the suit and the right shoes, and we got to make sure we even have it on the right jewelry. But the other part that we have to balance is that we can't have on the expensive jewelry. Yeah, you know, listen, we there, there's there's not a need to floss, right? I, I don't think right. it's that, but but again, that comes out of if 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 I have a, if I have a fundamental value of myself, then I'm not necessarily trying to impress you. And just as a side note. You know, whether I'm downtown at City Hall or whether I'm kicking it at uh, at the cookout, right? I'm me and I'm comfortable, so I'm not going to wear exactly. I'm not going to wear anything that don't make me feel good, right? That's but, it. But but the challenge is how, how how to navigate that. And and let me say something else. There's an even deeper challenge because given where I feel led to kind of write and kind of create content, uh, there is a constant challenge in that some people are so immersed. In the function in the in the function is presently constructed to where when you say something uh it causes them it gives them pause and then they believe it they disbelieve it right it becomes cognitive dissonance so the first time you tell somebody that there are millions of black people in this country that are poor but they're not poor because they're lazy they're poor because there are structures in place that keep them from getting to the top of the socioeconomic ladder. Oh, no, it's not, right? Because that contradicts the American story. No, right. if they just worked harder, right? And that's, why, and that's why they want our books banned. Because exactly. we're going to tell them the truth in the books. Exactly. So we can't let y'all read these things because they may get free. And they right. may really believe these things. And, and and our white counterparts may believe these things too. Because can't listen, babies in Florida read the 1619 Project. Oh my gosh, <laughs> right? They might actually think that America has done some crazy things to some folk. <laughs> and maybe that's the reason it looks the way it does. And we should probably change that. No, we'll just ban the book. <laughs> right, right. But then, but then, sidebar, real quick, since we're talking politics, they said, "Well, they got the sixteen nineteen project, so let's write the twenty twenty five project." Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, so y'all got to put project behind twenty twenty five, but y'all's is about a scandal. These yeah. things happen to us. You're mm-hmm. planning what you're going to do. Ours is what we went through. Exactly. It's a different- it's a different kind of structure. Just interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm loving this conversation. I'm yeah. loving it. So how does um, the possibility of censorship, we got that, we got people in the house mm-hmm. being censored right now, yeah. or bans influence your creative process? Do you think that, okay, is this going to be banned so I'm not going to write this? Or do you just freely write it anyway? So can okay. you speak to that? How does it, how does it impact the topics and things that you choose to explore in your writing. It doesn't affect it one bit. Listen, I love it. it. It doesn't affect it one bit. <laughs> I I stand on the shoulders of those who had the courage to express uncomfortable, unarmed truths in the face of things far more dangerous 
than a ban. Uh, we, Love it. I stand on the shoulders of people who are willing to risk their lives to say things that they felt like their community and the nation needed to hear. Yeah. And so for me, my pen doesn't have the room to be cowardly. Ooh, I love that. My that pen doesn't have room. Doesn't have the room to be cowardly. To be cowardly. That, I love right? that. that. That I I have an accountability. I have an accountability to everybody in my neighborhood in the Bronx, to every person that poured into me, to the black church that reared and raised me, to uh to the children that I have now, uh, yeah. to my family and my friends, to the people who I lead, to the communities I care about. I have I have a responsibility to be truthful. That. And whether that stretches me, whether that truth makes me uncomfortable, whether that truth requires me to have security and whether or not someone in power feels like they have to ban or restrict uh, what's being said in a nation where freedom of speech is a thing. Right. No matter right. what happens, uh, I feel like it's my responsibility, my life call to make yeah. sure that I'm telling truth in that way. And that's whether it's writing a sermon or writing an article or writing a book or writing a lecture or writing an essay. Uh, the goal is to tell those truths. And what history will hold up is that yeah. even in the worst case of scenario, right? That there stood a person, there stood a people that were willing to declare the truth of the moment. And the reason why that matters, Gail, is because, is because the way in which our culture looks always starts with ideas yeah it yeah. always starts with someone having a moral imagination to see the thing different but we can't deploy moral imagination until we first start with uncomfortable truth yeah, yeah. and so i see i see my writing and making sure that whether there's a, the notion of a ban or whatever i'm always thinking about it in that way that what, what what's the most true what, what's the most true? And that's what I should be trying to say uh, in okay. a way that reaches folk. And now in 2023, ban or not, it's so much easier uh, to, to get information out and to gather a following and to have people respond to what it is you're doing. Can you imagine what James Baldwin would have been in 2023? Right. <laughs> where, where he could just write and then just and just post or just have it out within right? within 30 minutes really yeah, which, which, a half which, hour. which which i'm gonna I'm jump to something i gotta come back because i want to grab this because it's like a perfect point to put this in here so what are your thoughts to ai mm -hmm. are you for it or against it when it comes to your writing because that's what's helping people put out stuff and i'm like come on now is this you what is happening here? So can Listen, you speak to that? What are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious. We're still in I, I, politics. I, we're still in politics. No, we are still in politics. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, when we talk about things thinking for you, that's very political, right? Um, I, I was born in 78 and I love technology. I appreciate science, uh, but I don't need a thing to think for me. I don't, I I don't need that. a thing to write for me. I think there's something very pure about being able to express your own thought and regardless of whatever way people try to make it seem as if uh, the machine doesn't compromise humanity, it's there to help. Uh, the truth is, is that we don't, we don't need any help being human. I love that, that. That, that's the truth. And when it comes to our writing, when it comes to our truth telling to our work, we don't need a machine to do that. Because by the way, those machines, no matter how much they try to make them human, are manipulated by somebody else. 
So that other person's ideology, that other person's words, their understanding of words, their lexicon, their language, their slang, right? Their tone, all of that goes into the algorithm and the program that goes into the artificial in intelligence. So for me, I don't need a AI to write for me. I don't need an AI to, to give me help. Uh, here's where I call on my tradition. My hope is built. Oh, nothing less. Less. <laughs> right? I know so. he got real excited because he started clicking that pin. I know all he yeah. heard that <laughs> clicking. That's called the excitement. He got real into it and he just started clicking the pin. Y'all just laugh thing. That's what that's no different than y'all tapping the table or whatever. I said, yeah. oh, he's all the way in. He is clicking the pin. So, <laughs> but no, and thank you for that. Thank you for that. I, I'm I'm yeah, thank you for that. So now we got to talk about advocacy a little bit. So as an author, do you see your role for yourself in advocacy for freedom of expression? Because you even talked about uh, freedom of speech. And in the first, the moment you said that, I'm thinking, well, we're not allowed to have freedom of speech. Only certain people are allowed to have freedom of speech because <laughs> we get in trouble for freedom of speech. But I love that you said, doesn't matter. I'm going to say it anyway. So even when I think about your book, After the Benediction, I'm bringing that back in here for a moment. You know how I ask a thousand questions in one, but I know you can follow me. It's all good. Because I just get excited. You know, mm -hmm. I just get excited. But even with that, people want to go home. And then and they're like, okay, it's after the benediction. Can I say those things that I want to say? Because in the church, I was in a safe space. We were all on one accord. Now I'm kind of standing alone. I have to go into corporate America tomorrow or in the morning and I'm going to have to watch what I say. I'm going to have to watch the language I use. I'm going to have to change the wording. I'm going to have to change my sentences around. So do you look at yourself as a role for advocacy for freedom of expression? And then how do you stay resilient in the face of potential censorship? Uh, I do see myself hopefully right as someone that can be an example and an advocate uh in terms of free speech and being able to say what it is that you need to say um and let me say this i appreciated you lifting it in the context of uh fear of you know losing a job or fear of being banned or being censored i don't want to roll over that those are real things and i think there's something responsible about being aware of the context that you're operating in Right. But at the same time, there's a way in which we can do that. And I'm saying that coming out of a tradition in a community where we always have to be able to do more than one thing at one time. I think that with that being the case, I can be aware of my context while still not compromising my content. So uh, we're doing the podcast right now and I know exactly what it is that I want to say. I would probably say it different if I were preaching this on Sunday morning because the context is different. Right. But what's not going to change is my message. If I were saying this, I have a meeting tomorrow uh, with the city attorney here in the city I'm in, in Columbus, right? Uh, I'm going to say some of the same things that we're talking about right now. What's not going to change is my message. Right. Now, what, what I may adapt, right, because of the context, Right. I may adapt some of the language, but not at the expense of what I'm trying to say. So right. uh, and what I want to offer is that I just think that there's a lane for us to spend more time doing that. I think sometimes we get so concerned about the context that we don't think we can say anything revolutionary or say right. anything that's a new way of thinking about something or say anything 
that 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 troubles the apparatus, right? Yeah. I think we become so complicit in the function when we're silent in that way. That's what that's what Dr. King said in that speech, right? When he was at Riverside, the 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 line that sticks out to my favorite King sermon, by the way, the why I opposed the war in Vietnam. That man wrote out there comes a moment where silence is betrayal. Right. right. But you know, but let's talk about that just for a second. I'm looking at the time, but I'm like, gotta gotta ignore the time for a moment. Let's talk about that for a moment. So many people are probably like, what speech? Because people only know one. Yeah. And they only know that line, I have a dream. But right. there's so much more there. And that's why sometimes I get angry when I hear about we're banning books, you can't say certain things. I mean, come on, let's talk about Amanda Gordon. Right. Uh, Gore, Gore, is it Gordon or Gorman? Gorman, yeah. Gorman, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, Amanda, for messing up your name. But um, I, I think about, the, I have a friend named with the last name Gordon, but um, mm -hmm. uh, I think about the fact that they wanted to get rid of her, her, her uh, spoken word right. from history of a presidential inauguration. Yeah. Are you crazy? And so we're so we just fall on one set of something. So everybody's gonna always have a dream. Well, the dream is still happening and it's a lot of it's come, but at the same time, it's like there's other words that are around here. So learn some other uh um some other um books and speeches and things like that. And let's get beyond the same old narrative and rhetoric. Let's let's go deeper and get an understanding of the different culture and the the words that we use and the expression of freedom and of our yeah. faith don't get me going, but just all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So your voice as a black male author is essential in providing this diverse perspective. So mm -hmm. how do you believe the liter the literary world can benefit from a uh, what I would call a wide range of voices um, even though that may be subject to controversy. So even what I said, what you just said, I'm, I'm, I've landed here. Mm -hmm. I just want to hear your take on this. Because yeah. I don't know about you. You said earlier we were tight. No, I'm exhausted. I hear you. Um, I, I'm over it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sick of everything being a conflict or controversy. Right. I'm just, I'm, I'm over it. So come on, talk to us as a Black male author, you know. Yeah. The, the diverse I, I, perspective, this literary world, how do we benefit from a range of voices? I think we benefit mostly in that it forces us to think. I think it forces us to think. I'm, I'm unequivocal in my stance that we're living in an anti-intellectual age wow. where it's a lot easier to do than it is to think. Uh, attention spans are so much shorter than what they were when we didn't have access to as much information, we weren't constantly connected to a thing where we're scrolling and looking at, right? If you look at the way that movies are made, right? They're, they're quick, it's just harder for people to pay attention. I pastor a congregation, right? Uh, I've preached in places and watched people fidget in chairs because it's harder to just lock in and then focus on a, on a thing. That's just a, that's, it's a, that's a cultural phenomena that happens and the, idea of different voices lending different perspectives what that does is it forces us to think because i can say i believe something without giving any real thought to it right I, I can say that i believe uh i'm a new york again i'm a new yorker right so i love the new york knicks i can tell you the knicks are going to win a championship right I, I don't have to support that right i don't have to give any 
uh, data. I don't have to talk about right the Knicks in any substantive way. I can just tell you that's what I believe. Now, the Knicks haven't won a championship since 1978, but this is just what I believe, right? If I hear somebody say, no, you know, maybe the Denver Nuggets have a chance to repeat. They won the championship last year. Now what that forces me to do is think about my own stance, right? And think about why I believe what it is I believe. And so I think having differing voices uh, that reside on opposite ends of an aisle, on opposite ends of an issue, differing voices that experience things in a certain way. I just want to lift while we're talking about this, that the notion of being a black male author is something that I identify with and hold true. I am also real clear that as a black man, it is not my job, nor am I able to speak in a complete and holistic way about the experience of a black woman. So there's something about having voices in a black, hearing the voice of a black woman, right? Talk like about this. her perspective and her struggle and what she has to deal with and what she has to fight with and her truth that may push against the patriarchy that I'm immersed in, that may push against like in some it. ways my understanding of the world that helps me be a better man, right? Like that it. helps me function in my community better. So now we can partner because it's not an either or. All of those voices can reside in the same space at the same time. And now it's easier for us to all move in the same direction because when we come up with an agenda, we're talking about politics. When we come up right. with a policy, the policy can now be something that's touching everybody and not preferencing somebody else. So does that make sense? Like, I, I think that that's- the absolutely way, makes sense. I, I think that's the benefit of having all the voices um, yeah. at the same time. It, it absolutely makes sense. And I'm, I hope I'm not going to get into any trouble here, but I'm going to just quickly say um, we used to work together on a, on a project sure. and yeah. Yeah. immediately you made sure that my voice was heard in that space. And yeah. when someone disrespected me as a black woman, and that's what it was, mm -hmm. you called attention to it. You, along with a couple other brothers, sure. called attention to like, hey, uh-uh, this is a black woman. She has the floor. She has something to say. Don't disrespect her. And yeah. I love that that is a part, it seems like that's just a fabric of your being with everything that you do. Listen, um, I, I am what I am. Yeah. Uh, because of the impact and strength of strong black women, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. That's probably what got me in trouble. I was probably too strong. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might, it might have been right. That might, might have been the case. Um, uh, but They're like, trouble. what are we doing with her? <laughs> it's good trouble though. So you're good. It was good, good trouble. It was. <laughs> they probably like, where did where did she come from? Let's get let's get rid of her. Now, do you find and and we are going over time, y'all. I'm sure y'all probably are so tuned in. So let's just keep going. We can go a little bit longer. Longer. Do you find support and solidarity within the writing community, especially from, let's say, fellow authors um, who may face similar challenges? And, and how important is collaboration in this season? I think collaboration is extremely important. Uh, we have to, as my pastor would say, we have to remember that we're all building the same boat uh, in the writing community. As, as, as creatives, as person who are creating content, which means yeah. that you're informing thought, you're informing imagination, you're informing perspective in whatever capacity, whether that's uh, doing what I do, kind of offering socio-spiritual commentary, whether that's 
someone writing critical political analysis, whether that's someone engaged in Afrofuturism, whether that's uh, someone that's writing fiction, right? No matter what that is, we're all building the same boat and the work that we do now, what we create now is laying the groundwork for what our future is going to look like. So I think collaboration is extremely uh, important. I do see support, right? I see yeah. support from other writers who know the burden of deadlines and, and trying to keep on track and, and first and second and third drafts and edits, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Don't remind me. Don't remind me. <laughs> right. We're, you know, we're, 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 we're sisters in struggle, right? We're brothers in bondage, right? To, to know what it is when you don't feel like it, but you still got to tie yourself to the chair in order to get the idea out, right? Like, you know, like, so there's support in that way. And there's support, quite frankly, and, you know, we don't talk about support like this enough, but there's support when it comes to the release date, right? <laughs> like, right? So I you appreciate that prayers. Try. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I appreciate it, right? And I think it's cool that you pray for me, and that's cool. But listen, at, at the I'm book signing, I want you to buy this book. <laughs> Try to move units. You know I'm going to need you to share the article. Yeah. I'm going to need you to buy the book. I'm going to need you to buy, matter of fact, five books. Because I need you to buy one for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Any weddings coming up or baby mm -hmm. showers or put a, put a book in the baby's library. Look, all of that. All of that. But, but let and me say too, though, just as we're talking about that, and and this is a slight pivot, so just kind of bear with me. I think that when we're talking right about support, the, oh, cool, cool. What we're what we're talking about in terms of support is that I, I get support because, and I hear this from trusted places that people are supporting something that they think is quality, right? Yeah. It's not asking somebody to support something with a bunch of misspellings or support something uh, that has a Z at the end of it instead of an S, right? Or support something that they don't feel like makes a thing better. It actually pushes us back, right? Yeah. So yeah. what I have is support for something for writing and for information and for uh, perspective that people find value in. Uh, right. If I'm being honest, if it wasn't that, I wouldn't want someone to support it. And I'm not mad if someone comes down in a different place Right. And they're not supportive of uh, how what my grandfather used to say four quarters are better than 100 pennies. Right. I'd rather have four quarters. Right. Yeah. That are supporting because they see the value in it. than maybe 100 yeah. pennies uh, that don't necessarily support. Right. I, I'd rather just have value in the support. And I think that support comes out of people seeing value in what's created. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that, that's so that's so on point. That is so on point. And and speaking of this, I'm I'm laughing too because I think sometimes people think, why y'all just at home? Like, what are y'all doing? We're writing, right. and sometimes they don't connect it. Like, well, you watching television? My, I had to release my brain for a moment. It, yeah. It's just really crazy. People don't understand the writing world at all. Yeah. And it's, it's rough out here for us. Like, buy our books. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> and look, and everybody that comes on politics and prose, their stuff is the bomb. So buy the book. Buy the book. Yeah. Okay. A couple more questions and we're out of here. I promise okay. you. Mm -hmm. Looking at the educational impact. Yeah. Um, what role do you think, um, and I'm thinking of from elementary to middle school, to high school, to college mm -hmm. and beyond, um, that literature plays in shaping minds, especially these young minds and how can educators and authors 
begin to collaborate, partner, work together, which we were just talking about, to ensure diverse voices are heard. So we've already talked about the diverse voices, but I want to really look at it in, in the educational system, maybe even in, in church school, Sunday school. Sure. What what community uh, um, reading projects? I don't know. You know, like we do community gardens, community reading, mm -hmm. whatever that is. So, yeah. how do you think literature plays in shaping minds? I'm thinking about young minds, young black and brown boys' minds, young Latino girls' minds, young whatever minds those are. The 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 young minds. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I go back to my own story. Listen, um, what I was able to see as a child were not just uh, amazing writing, right? Not just the beauty and power of words, not just imagery that comes out of rhetoric, but I was also to see that that came from people who looked like me, people who looked like my mama, right? I, I was able to I was able to connect that. And as a result, there was something that then told me, oh, I can do that. There was something yeah. that that lit the spark of genius within me, right? To where as the inclinations toward writing uh, began, I didn't tell myself I couldn't, right? Booker T. Washington says that it's hard to be what you don't see, right? I was able to see uh, writing and see literature and see authors and see across the spectrum of genre. And so what that did was that inspired me in the best of way, right? It also gave me a bar, right? Like, so, no, these are writer writers. So if I want to write, you know, C-Spot Run ain't going to cut it. Look, I got to make sure that I'm representing the best of what our tradition is, right? That <laughs> like C-Spot Run is Jane, Jane Spot. Those were the books back in yeah, elementary school. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And, 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 and that was cool. But if I'm... You know, if I'm talking about County Cullen or Maya Angelou, right, or Nikki Giovanni or Toni Morrison, right, I, I have to be thinking about, right, that, okay, that's the level. And these are people who are thinking about the world around them. These are people who are telling the truth. These are people who are weaving a story. These are people who aren't using a bunch of words to say a bunch of things and paint a picture, right? right. Sonia right. Sanchez, if I would have known you before I met you, I would have left my love at home. There's so much in that little right couplet, right, to where you're painting a picture. And so I think, I think the importance of it for children is that, it, again, it helps them to dream. It helps cultivate their moral imagination. It helps in terms of representation and understanding it that way. I think that we have an opportunity as creatives, as writers, uh, as essayists, right, uh, those who offer social critique, I think we have an opportunity to initiate the conversation. We can't wait on the establishment to do what we needed to do. Exactly. Historically, that has never worked out for our people, and right? It's not going to work it's never now worked out, uh, for those who are marginalized, uh, not just Black folk, right? Not just, I mean, that just never works out for us. So we have to be able to have conversations with educators and we mm. have to have it in the name of representation. Uh, right. My and we need people to listen to this podcast because you are throwing down today. Oh, I received that. I appreciate that. Right? It, it means that we go and we tell people like, hey, what, what does it mean for you to go to a school where you know the majority of the children look like a certain sort and be able to say, hey, I've written a book and in the name of exposure, this would be a thing. I'd love to come and read it to your young folk. I think it'd be cool. Let the teacher have the conversation with the administration. 
That's their job. But in the name of representation, we can offer ourselves as a resource in that way. And when we have the audacity to do that, we have to be here. You go, you're an audacious advocate. We need to be audacious authors. Right. And I take that. I I uphold that word. I take that word like it's it's stuck to me like glue. It's like I'm going to advocate for you. I'm going to advocate for your work. And I see so much. And And I'm not trying to slide in. Uh, manuscripts and mimosas on purpose. But it it fits here because that's actually why I started that. I've been working on that for over a year and we launched it in October 2023. But I've worked with so many Black and Brown authors, Mm self-publishing authors. They're just trying to get their work out there. They're trying to figure out how do I navigate these streets with my books? They're trying to figure out how do I, which you're going to be sharing with us in January, how Mm -hmm. do I uh, find these paid writing um, platforms, gigs, whatever you want to call it. How do I take my manuscript and turn it into an online course so that I'm building a profitable profitable business? I had someone talking about the pitches. I had a white woman. Mm -hmm. Her name was Marco Starbuck, thebomb.com. Come in and share with the members, like, this is what you want to add into your pitch. This is exactly what the literary agents are looking for. This is exactly what the traditional publishing houses are looking for. And I'm sorry, I've been in the prestigious writing groups, been one of the few Black women up in there, Mm -hmm. been ignored. They liked me. They thought my my smile was pretty and I was nice and all that stuff. But when it came down to getting the the answers and information I I needed or was seeking, they're not giving that to me. So as I said, I'm creating this myself. And I know there's other things out there like this, but it was like God gave me every instruction for manuscripts and mimosas. And side note, when I speak of mimosas, because I get pushed back from the Black Christian community all the time, you're talking mimosas. Well, guess what? It could be spiked or not, but mine is spiked. (laughs) So let's just, and and God's okay with it. Now, remember, he said the best for last at the wedding. Let's not even go there. So with that, that, I got got two more questions for you. Mm -hmm. We got time? You good? Can we yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So in the face of adversity, I'm talking about now hope and uh, resistance yeah. in the face of adversity. And it, it, I love how all this is just feeding into everything and where we're going. I'm like writing notes, ready to ask you the next question. <laughs> what message of hope or resistance would you want to share with self-publishing authors, aspiring authors, people who have a desire to write, but maybe their school teacher told them they were a horrible writer. Um, And and speaking of marginalized communities, uh, particularly or specifically those in the marginalized community, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, 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 help me with that. And 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 as you're getting ready to say that, I had a teacher, a male teacher, at a um at a uh, at that point it was a junior high school, and I did not go to school in the neighborhood. I was bused to another school before busing even happened because of my GPA and all those things. Yeah. We were writing. It was an English. It was advanced English class. We were writing. And he kept telling me that I misused a word and that I was I spelled it wrong, all this stuff. I can talk about it today. 
because it still irks me. I want to go find him because it yeah. was the right word mm -hmm. and it was spelled correctly. <laughs> and I'm trying to understand why he felt the need to do that in front of the entire classroom. And I was the only black face in that room. And he just kind of like shut me down and told me, don't ever think about writing because you'll never be a writer. Like just all that kind of stuff. And so I bring that forth to go back to that question in this face of, in the face of adversity, what message of hope and resistance would you like to share? Again, that self-publishing author, the aspiring author, that writer, mm -hmm. that person who has a love for writing, but maybe they're afraid to write because someone told them they can't write. And, and those in, or those in or from a marginalized community. Yeah. So Listen, I think that we live, uh, well, let me say it in two ways. One, we live in a republic that's built on resistance. And we have to own that as a truth that I'm, I'm not I'm not caping for the country. I'm not saying the Constitution's right. In fact, because we're talking about writing, I think it should be rewritten, right? So I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is history records that this is a republic of resistance, that what this is, the best of what this country is, is when there's a resistance to the things that's wrong, whether it's the colony resisting what was going on in England, whether it's persons of color resisting the realities of Jim and Jane Crow, whether uh, it's present day where members of the LGBTQIA plus community resisting uh, these this heteronormativity and this uh, homosexual kind of uh, oppression that they have to deal with on a regular basis. We're the best of what we can be as a republic when we're resisting. Uh, and I think we just have to own that as a truth, that the only way things get better uh, is when we resist, right? Without struggle, there's no progress, right? That's what right. Frederick Douglass right. says. So, uh, but I think for the artisans, right? For the authors, for the journalists, for the bloggers, for the creatives, for the content creators, I think it's just important to know that we live we live in a moment where there are so many stones, the stones of ignorance, the stones of evil, the stones of hatred. And what we need are not just tools. We don't just need hammers and chisels to address these stones. What we need are artists. We need yeah. someone that can look at the stone and say, this can be a sculpture. We need someone that can look at this yeah. and be able to say that it looks like this right now, but I can create it into something else. And the way that we do that for those who are gifted to write, it's a privilege to be able to write, to share thought that helps somebody else think. Yeah. Uh, I, think I think that we need, I think we need artists that are able to look at the stones of the society and through their writing, through their content creating, through their blogging, through their books, through their essays, through their journal entries, through writing something private in your thing that helps you live in the world better. I think when, we, when we're engaging in that, we're engaging in something liberational. I love this. Wow. That, that's the way I think about it. So I hope I'm encouraging all the writers to keep, so keep writing. So, yes. so, so keep writing and keep using words. In my tradition, the universe was created not because of hands, but because of the divine spoke a word. I love that. Oh my gosh. All right. So future project, what do you have any upcoming projects or books in the works? And I do. I'm working, just... I do. I'm Go working ahead. on second book, working on second book around uh, uh, rethinking the church and how we rethink our function for the 21st century. Uh, how okay. we just make this thing right, how we got 
to be so distant and disconnected from community, what we bought into as a result of that and how we realign ourselves with community within the church and externally and okay. how we just do it in a better way that liberates uh, folk and liberates minds and leaves space for creatives. That's part of it too. So I'm working so on when, that. So when can we expect this? Look, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. pushing you to a deadline. Put me to a deadline. <laughs> of, uh, Dece December 2024, I should be finished because I'm in school December too. December 2024, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. And see to all of my author clients out here, some of y'all be trying to tell me I want y'all's books done in three months, four months. It's okay if you say it within a year. It's okay. Yeah. I have a book now that was delayed. It'll be coming out in January, but it was mm -hmm. delayed for over a year and I had to be okay with that like it's just yeah. not time yet so y'all stop rushing your projects stop rushing your projects yeah. all right what book are you currently reading and why this book and who's the author well i'm reading two i'm reading we testify our lives by uh, terrence johnson uh it talks about how religion how black religion informs the idea of liberation so how you can i'm a christian so in my christian tradition how the black liberation tradition can inform the way that we operate in liberatory ways out in the marketplace. Okay. Uh, and I'm also reading Stakes is High by Michael Denzel Smith. Um, it talks about the contradictions between the American dream and what black people have had to deal with. So the American dream wasn't for all of America. And there are scores of us who hold on to those dreams thinking that that's success. And we were kind of sold a thing that the contract doesn't allow us to get to. So I'm just reading about some ideas around, I'm reading two. Uh, yeah, right I, I can read two to three books at a time. It's the yeah. craziest thing. Um, sometimes I mix them, like mm -hmm. right. oh, no, in this book. So give yeah. us those titles again, and everyone they will be in the in the description. So make uh, sure you go to look at it. So read uh, the, we, the first one is "We Testify with Our Lives" by Terrence Johnson. Okay. Uh, and the second one is "Stakes Is High," um, which, by the way, is one of my favorite hip hop songs by one of my favorite hip hop groups, De La Soul. Uh, it stakes is high of uh, life after the American dream by Michael Denzel Smith. Love it. Love it. this has been amazing. Oh, Look, I, I don't go an hour for a podcast. Okay. <laughs> but I had to keep going because this is phenomenal. Wow. Um, and I need all of our listeners. Y'all download it, share it, tell other people about it, get them excited. I just I, even thinking about going into Thanksgiving next week and then the holidays and Kwanzaa. I'm going to mention that since we're on the topic of your book yeah. um, after the benediction. Um, I just think something like this, just in a quiet space while sipping a mimosa, listen. even in front of a fireplace to listen to this podcast, I think it will uh, empower people, equip people, rejuvenate people, refuel people, refresh people. I mm. even think the, the anointing of God can fall upon them when they're listening mm. to this and everything you have to say. Can I offer so, something real quick before you cut off, just real fast? Oh, you, you, got, you got to give us some more information anyway, but go Man, ahead. I was just getting ready to say, listen, <laughs> there is no way I'm going to talk about two people's book and not say my book from my mouth. After the benediction, Practical Insights for Christian Living. Uh, you can get that on Amazon. You can go to Barnes & Noble. In fact, you can go to any bookstore and you can get that. It's a 40-day devotional, biblical scripture, reflection, and African proverb. It makes a great gift. It is not a complicated read, and I'm certain that you'll be blessed by it. Also, you can check me out. I write a little bit more than once a month on my website. Are you are you up yet? 
That's at RevDerekHolmes.com. Uh, check it out and then share it and then check it out some more. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me on, it's not Twitter anymore, it's X, but I still call it Twitter. You can I follow me there. You can follow me there at Mr. Derek Holmes, M-R-D-E-R-R-I-C-K-H-O-L-M-E-S. Uh, and I, that's all the social media I really do. So check me out. <laughs> check me out and spread the word, please. <laughs> I cannot believe you thought that I was not going to say no, how many people find you, follow you. I even have a whole script written and I'm going to read it just so that you, I wanted to, I was going to read. If people would like to book you, consult mm. with you, buy your books, hire you, have you come speak, how mm. may they reach you? And you just told us. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to leave you hanging on that. Again, y'all buy the book. Mm. Now he's going to be nice. I'm not, um, I'm going to suggest, I don't know what it is with me in this number five, but buy five books. Buy one for yourself, buy one to give away to somebody at your office, buy one for a college student, buy one for somebody's birthday, and buy one for uh, a holiday gift. So that's five. And then encourage them, once they read it and start talking about it, encourage them to buy five to also give away in that sequence. Um, this has been absolutely amazing. So thank you so, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, thank, you. thank you. Wow. This is just amazing. Any last words before I do the final sign off? Uh, peace to everybody's pen. Writers keep writing. Journalists keep journaling. Let's go ahead and change the world uh, with our work. And Gail, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, us just being able to share a space. You know, I love you to life. Uh, and I just appreciate being able to uh, share and think out loud with you. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. It's been an honor to interview you and to even learn something more. So it's been exciting. Yeah. So you all, you know what I'm, I'm going to say here. First of all, have a safe and wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, don't eat too much, um, but enjoy all of it. Um, watch all the football games you want to watch. Um, decorate, cook. I can already smell the greens and the sweet potato pies and, and the cornbread and the turkeys and, and the beef and just all of that. The morning breakfast with a mimosa and it's holiday time. So it'd be the pomegranate mimosa. So I'm going to put that recipe in the description too. So you know what to do with that. But, um, but have, if you're traveling, be safe. If you're flying, be patient. Um, let's get to our destination and have a good time. Enjoy the conversations. Tell everyone, leave politics off the table. That can blow up a family in a minute. And we don't want that happening. So be safe. Please be safe. Um, as y'all know, when we go into December, there will be no uh, polit uh, uh, politics and prose or uh, news in motion um, during the month of December. There may be one week of news in motion, but no politics and prose during the month of December. We will be back that first Friday of January with some amazing um, guests that we will have. Um, but we're going to have a good time. So y'all know what I say, keep moving. Um, make bold moves all the time. This is the season to make some bold moves and to live your life in abundance. I am your host, Gail Dudley. This has been Politics and Prose. My guest um, was Reverend Derek Holmes. Um, please 
I know you're going to listen to this several times. So share it, enjoy yourself. And again, uh, be grateful, be thankful, and have an amazing Thanksgiving. We're out. New episodes air on Fridays. Make sure to follow Gail on Instagram, Twitter, and post.news at Gail Dudley. And subscribe to her YouTube, www.youtube.com slash Gail Dudley. Tune in to be informed. And make sure to subscribe to Politics and Prose wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. 